This is an Axiom Origin podcast recording with Alex Mann, our wonderful friend and client from UK Partner Works. Hello, Alex. Morning, guys. Of course, our CEO, Pam. Hi, Pam. Hi, Shoy. Hi, Alex. Good to be here. So we're going to uh, review with Alex some of the articles we've been putting out recently related to open data. So for energy friends out there, you will have heard of the Energy Data Task Force, and we have been working with Alex and the team to think through some of the topics. So we put a few articles out there on LinkedIn. It's been lovely to see really full, detailed responses to some of our articles. Thank you for making time for us today. We're going to go through each of the articles in summary level and ask for your view. Are you cool with that? Yeah, happy with that. But before we dive in, how do you frame your thoughts when it comes to open data and, and the work that you're leading at the moment? I think as with all things, a lot of this stuff comes down to um, collaboration. The, the commonality with utility companies, whether it's a water or an electricity company, is that it's a utility company. So it's got operations, it's got asset management. They are, broadly speaking, trying to do the same thing, particularly when it comes to critical national infrastructure. And I think one of the the things that comes across time and time again when you look at the, the data that these companies hold is not that they need necessarily more of it, but they just need to get better at using it. And I think for what we're trying to do at the moment and what Ofgem is trying to drive us towards, that collaboration piece across the different companies and the different industries, that is exactly the direction of travel we should be looking to take. So if I think of areas where, you know, I just think there's such natural synergies, things like smart metering. You know, Thames Water, they've been on a journey of smart metering for probably close to a decade now. And the learnings that we can take from how you do a, a water balance on, on a feeder is pretty much the same as to how you can do a load indices for a feeder in the electricity sector. And I think there are further opportunities that we can take even to the extent of how can leakage be used to infer where are we going to find faults on our underground cable network and other anecdotal stories where actually if we had access to the open data between the companies, they're exactly the kind of things that we could look to explore together. Mm. That's really interesting, Alex. Well, let's use that as a link to the first article, which was posted by our colleague Nikki, which focuses on stepping beyond the recommendations in the EDTF report. Nikki's had a load of responses. It's really good fun to read through them if you're into this sort of thing. One of them that really stands out is quite detailed. I'm going to read it out. Alex, Pam, see which of you wants to uh, tackle this first. So if I knew the location, capacity and utilisation of assets that power and gas network operators had, I would be able to determine the best, lowest cost and highest value, local roadmaps of decarbonisation in an energy network and vector neutral way. For some customers in regions, it would be hydrogen. For, other, for others, a form of electrification. Alex, Pam, where does that take your thoughts? What do you think, Alex? I mean, that is a prime example of why we have put out those questions and why those documents were put out to prompt those kind of thoughts, because nobody is going to have all the answers. It's the reason that platforms like Kaggle and things exist for competitions where you can get really top-notch thoughts from all around the world. That's a really nice example of how energy system data could be coupled with things like Highways England transportation data to identify what's the uh, you know least cost, best optimized way um, to deliver decarbonisation, and I think that is a, a really lovely example of you know a decision support tool that could be built in the future to help deliver the best value solutions for customers. And Pam, there are a couple of responses from water industry 
peers. When you put yourself in a position of exec level, board level perspectives at a water company, what stands out for you as the open data opportunity? Well, you look at the water sector and then you look across the whole of utilities and you just think about how data rich that sector is, energy and utilities more broadly. They're so data rich. So really heavy infrastructure organisations with a common customer base. So it feels like it's the prime um, opportunity to come together and try and solve try and solve some of your biggest challenges. When you think about it now, you wonder why we've not kind of um, untapped that potential before. But we're getting there, aren't we? I mean, for the few years now, you know, open data has become the norm. But it has to be for a purpose. It has to be for a purpose. And I'm really excited about the end customer really feeling the benefit, organisations and sectors collaborating with each other. Okay, so as we move to the second article, we're joined by Martin. Hi, Martin. Hi, thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. Why don't you introduce yourself quickly? Uh, I would love for our friends and colleagues and clients listening to this to know a bit about you, what you stand for, and and why the term decision sciences, for example, means such a lot to you. Hi, my name is Martin Noble. I'm a senior decision science manager at UK Power Network. What does that mean? It means I'll help the business take better decisions using data, and that's what I'm really passionate about. Um, and that's what I've done my whole career. I've done Formula One or in consulting, um, helping businesses and organizations take better decisions using the data that they have available to them. So let's let's go straight to that because in the article that our colleague Tim Ip posted, it's on an angle related to COVID-19 that relates to the way the wastewater sector has developed wastewater-based epidemiology. And Tim's article asks the question, um, could network and asset-based epidemiology help the global response to COVID-19? And another member of the team, Rob Belcher, responded to this in their previous podcast recording. And it was great to listen to Rob think it through and think it out loud. And of course, network usage could represent something to do with mobility or where people are. And one of the comments actually is from another friend of uh, Axie Origin, known to you both as well, Vicky Williams, who's now at Arup, saying, it might be interesting to combine the wastewater insight with the electricity network management insight to look at patterns of behavior, which I'm sure we would find would be entirely rational. So Alex, Martin, Pam, when you think about what we can learn from wastewater-based epidemiology applied to networks and assets, where do your thoughts take you? Martin, can I put you on the spot? You, you like the article, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed that article because first time I read it, it was a bit like, that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Um, there's a connection that's a little bit weak, um, taking something that's very concrete and done a lot at the moment, which is, you know, taking wastewater and bacteria in it um, and then applying it to something that's quite abstract, like the electricity network. But then it actually made me think a little bit and I thought maybe it's not as, as crazy and as weird as it sounds, because if that's in the right hands of the right people um, and combined with the right data sets from other areas, it might actually be quite meaningful. Actually, we might have some data here that could really help people in other areas if they combine it with theirs to get insights that could actually help them determine certain things that could help the response. Alex, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think just building on Martin's stuff really, like for me, I didn't necessarily draw an immediate link between the energy sector data and epidemiology. But what that article did do for me is it triggered in my mind, actually, what's the incredibly obscure links? You know, what's the link between energy sector data and 
fish stocks in the North Sea. Is there something about actually when we're connecting all of those offshore wind turbines, should we be doing something about promoting mm. biodiversity and um, environmental protection laws in those areas? And if we knew where we were going to put those cables and all the rest of it, could we actually promote things through that way? So I think for me, that article, whilst I couldn't necessarily immediately grasp the energy system impact for epidemiology, it did make me start questioning with myself, actually, where are those other opportunities for energy system data beyond the immediately obvious stuff? Mm. Do, you, do you think that's a stretch on EDTF or do you think it's the whole point? I mean, I guess I've given you a binary there. That's not very fair. How do you think this that sort of stretching of the use case applies to the spirit of EDTF recommendations? I mean, that has got to be foundational to it, really, isn't it? The whole premise of presumed open is innovation. Like the the whole driver behind all of this is to create new services for customers and to give value back to um, to consumers. And so actually, if we can help new businesses start up with this stuff, if we can identify new revenue streams for the country, new jobs mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, then that is exactly what this is all about. For me, I think that article in particular resonated really strongly with the uh, the kind of the art of the possible, that opening the diamond term that you hear when people start thinking about what ideas could you possibly go down. And isn't that the whole point of innovation? If you were to know right now what we would do with it immediately, then it wouldn't be, be groundbreaking. I think the only way we get something that's going to be really amazing is just to let it flow and also to stretch people's minds and to put ideas out there that are a bit bold and crazy at times because somebody will build on that somebody will have an idea in their area that will then actually make a huge difference whatever the area is so um, it just showed that it's quite exciting i think again just building on martin's excellent point there like somebody will do it the the energy sector is what 50 60 000 people in the uk tops that is not the only people who can benefit from this. There is a, a whole population of 70 million people out there, smart, driven, motivated people who will find ways to derive value from this stuff. I guess it comes back to the point we're discussing with Nikki's article, which is about the adjacent sectors. And so actually, if there is relatively common need, just as you were explaining at the start, Alex, actually, how does that how does that come together? And of the articles, the, the one that I really enjoyed reading most personally was the one that talks about uh, local authorities. So uh, our colleague Nev, Victoria Nevin, has posted about what happens when you collide public sector world with network and asset information. And sort of have a, a really resistant point about this. I can't get over the fact that when we had a chance to do some work uh, a while back, not Axia Origin, pre-Axia Origin, on topics related to foster care in a county council, you get a view of the data culture, the analysis culture, and you think there are data sources to develop. And it's fascinating to research and understand how far forward the local government mindset is really for open data. I don't personally think it reflects that it's being used in a a really special way yet, but there's obviously a commitment to releasing open data and and then the article is written here that there's an open data website for the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. And when you think about topics like decarbonisation of heat, electric vehicles, then the overlap with local authorities is really obvious. Alex Martin Pan, when you think about the interaction between utility company and local authority, what do you see as the opportunity to collaborate? So now we're moving from 
a little bit extreme with detecting COVID from 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 our data to um, something very, very tangible. Um, and I think the reason why I can say it's very tangible because about half an hour after you posted that article, um, the first person in my network reached out to me and said, yeah, that's an amazing idea. Um, and as a consultancy, which they are, they're immediately um, going to take a junior team and um, going to explore that idea a bit further as a little project from their own initiative. So clearly there's a lot of interesting stuff there that people can see immediately, um, very tangible, um, lots of practical applications. When I read that article and I looked at it, I think for me, the the overriding piece that came across is the collaboration, mm-hmm. because ultimately a lot of the kind of things that people are talking about doing, a lot of the kind of thoughts that that is triggering is actually about how do we give value back to local communities? Yeah. And I think when you look at what a company like UKPN or what the energy sector as a whole can do to help people who are in vulnerable circumstances, who are you know digitally disenfranchised, I think there are huge, huge opportunities that open data can help with. And this builds on Pam's previous point about it's the commonality of the customer bases in different areas where the utilities themselves can collaborate. But by pulling in the local authorities who've got that local knowledge, we can offer a far more tailored offering that will actually give that value back to the local communities. Pam, what are your views on the interaction with local authorities? Yeah, I'm thinking back to the work that we did with the local authority about nine, ten months ago now, looking at the economic impact of Brexit. There must be loads more opportunity for local authorities to work with energy companies can all appreciate how challenging it's going to be for for local communities in these next few months, probably next few years, with the impact of COVID. Unemployment is going to rise. The business sector is really challenging. So the work we did on Brexit has just made me think the COVID impact is going mm-hmm. to have a, a, an, e- an even more profound impact on different sectors and, and different communities and how can utility companies and local authorities get their heads together. Pam, that's really interesting because I remember how we tried to structure the analyses to understand the impact of Brexit on uh, the measurable impact of Brexit through economic data and and, and um, social data. So Alex Martin, this makes me wonder, when you get those local authorities together in whichever engagement routes you choose, that surely must be part of your long-term established approach to stakeholder engagement. Do members of your team go to those sessions? Do they take away analytics use cases? Is there something exploratory? Martin made a convincing point about innovation being deliberately open and, and exploratory. Do those forums enable you to go and develop these use cases? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, our our head of business planning and our head of innovation both attended about over, I think, roughly 40 hours worth of local authority, both at a council and um, city region level, um, just in the last week or so, where they were literally sharing all the plans that we've currently got in uh, place and also trying to get support for and understanding of what it was that the councils were trying to do so that we could better serve them. So, for example, um, specifics would be around helping the councils understand what are the implications of the heat strategy. So Mm. the government's guidance around um, electrifying heating in homes and also things around climate change mitigation and adaptation, stuff around EV uptake in their areas and making sure that where we've got data or insight or knowledge available, we're working out with the council what's the best way for us to share that information with them and with their consumers. I think there's a behavioural aspect to this. 
um, what I'm thinking about is how do we influence, enable, um, support senior leaders to elevate themselves from where they're currently sat day to day within their team, within their organization, within their sector? How do we help them to elevate themselves so they're looking at their organization or looking at a problem with a very different lens? Maybe those sorts of workshops Alex was describing, maybe that's the place to do it, Pam, yeah. or, or on, on the back of that. And I wonder whether, or not, like, for example, Alex Martin, part of your ED2 submission, if there was an open data program for all local authorities, then you could go on that journey together. So that takes us to the fourth and final article in the series that examines whether or not, and how rather, there are lessons to learn from open finance to apply to energy. So for colleagues who are into open data, of course, you'll know about open banking and how that's evolving into open finance. But for those colleagues that don't, it, it's really an amazing thing to read about, especially if you read it through an EDTF lens, where for me personally, substitute finance for energy, and it reads like some sort of future EDTF2 output. It, it's so convincing. That it's, it, it seems to me there's so much to learn from what's happened with our financial services sector colleagues, apart from the obvious, which is to learn from another sector. And we've talked about the benefits of collaboration. I wonder, Alex Martin, do you have any early and instinctive thoughts about what it really means to learn from open finance or collaborate directly with a specific use case for uh, for the finance sector? I find it reassuring. Um, it gives me a, a bit of a warm glow because actually if I think about what difference open data has made in the financial place, think of fintech. Mm. You know, none of those companies would have existed without the regulations enabling them to start getting into the, the banking sector. And actually, they're disrupting, they're adding better services, and there are enhanced outputs for customers on a daily basis where, you know, they're no longer having to pay for accounts. They are now able to get just the minimum service or an enhanced level of service, depending on their preference and their situation. And I think for me, the, I find that incredibly reassuring that there's already a sector that has gone through and is going through this transition that we can learn from. So is there like an off-gem FCA working group where, you know, there's like a, an opportunity for you guys to get involved with lessons? There must be something like that, right? No. I guess we're going to find out. Sorry, spontaneous <laughs> idea there. Martin, what do you think? Um, I have a slightly different angle to it. So I don't actually see, I think we have seen um, the, the uh, impact that open data in finance will have onto our lives. I think we have seen a careful stepping forward of yeah. um, some fintech providers doing what the big banks are doing, mimicking that. And we slowly see a little bit of a behavior and to turning into um, slightly different directions and kind of offering additional services. And I think that's where it's getting going to be. That's where it's going to be really exciting in fintech when these new services come in. And that's going to be the same, I feel, in our industry, which is a little bit behind that, where initially the services will look a little bit similar to what you've already seen. Maybe um, Octopus Agile is a good example. It's interesting, quite cool. I quite enjoy it, um, but not that far away from what we have seen. But then all the additional benefits that could come afterwards when these companies actually go and really make use of that data. The second one is actually, the biggest impact in fintech we see because some companies that are data literate now have a amount of data that's interesting for them to do stuff with. So for me, it's really interesting to see what happens if we have DSOs, um, institutions, uh, effectively the equivalent to fintech institutions in, the, in our sector, 
that have done a substantial amount of data that we have never really seen in that form before and what they can do with that, which then ties back into the conversations that we had before. I really enjoyed writing this article and I read this call for input from the FCA, Financial Conduct Authority. It was so interesting. So I guess I'm a bit in the middle between both of your comments. But what I found really interesting was that it did sound like it's still really early in finance. And it was such an obviously ambitious document. I really respected it for that. And I wonder whether or not there is something about this customer in common angle that Pam was sharing before. Maybe the collaboration opportunity is for those customers in common. Maybe it's specific financial products related to utility bills. What do you think, Pam? Well, I just... I'm just drawn to the ultimate outcome of collaboration um, utilising open data because it's no good just to it's available for the world to see and use. It's got to be with a purpose. And what better purpose than to drive greater customer service or to provide customers with greater value? Pam, we get to see open data use cases across different sectors. Do you see all of this articulating together? Is there is there a bigger picture view of this where EDTF sits within, for example? What are the topics do you think that unites all open data leaders at the moment? I, I do think we have an advantage because in seeing this, because we work with many different sectors and we often help to join those dots. For example, the work we're doing with the NHS and trying to bringing the benefits of wastewater surveillance into COVID early warning systems. But actually, the thing that could hold all of this together is the power of everybody, businesses, individuals, experts, local communities, working together to deliver the SDGs. Now, that would oh, be right. that would yeah. be amazing. Do you think we've lost a bit of sight of that, though? I mean, there's, we've got that survey data from the global value survey that we know the Barrett Valley Centre did in the spring, which showed, uh, well, this is a bit of a tangent, isn't it? But we, I guess it's, well, it is directly relevant to what you were saying, isn't it? So yeah. if, if leaders take their eye off the sustainability topic, is that, well, maybe this is a reason to get back on it. What do you think, Pam? I think there's there's actually been a pause and, um, you know, COVID has overtaken many of our lives and, um. Yeah, we saw with the Barrett Value Centre global survey on on this topic. So we are we are going off on a tangent, um, but there is there is a bigger picture here. Many parts of society, many business leaders are very much focused on playing their part to enable us to deliver those targets in 2030. We've only got well, just over nine years now. So yeah, what what better way? to think about the bigger picture than tie all this together mm. through 17 goals. Martin Alex, can I encourage you to think about and comment on the link to sustainability? We talked about electric vehicles and decarbonisation before. How, how do you see the whole picture coming together? Let's use this to wrap this up. Martin, why don't you go first, Alex? I think it's, it's right that you have the last word. So clearly that's something that none of us can solve with ourselves. So the only way we're going to make a difference is by collaborating and sharing. So um, as mentioned before, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing like the first concrete things, how we and our data can actually help that. Um, and local authorities might be a really good example where small things mm -hmm. can be done um, to drive that forward. But I think the really cool, exciting stuff is going to come when something really creative happens. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that. And Alex, how would you, do you want to wrap us up? Yeah, I guess um, the reason that we've undertaken this 
exercise, the reason that you'll be listening to this podcast is to try and get a feel for why have we done this and where we're going with it. And I think if you have listened all the way through, the reason that we're doing this exercise is because we want to understand where and how we can best help you. And by you, I don't mean that you as Ofgem or you as part of the energy sector or you as an individual. I mean, you as a consumer, as a human being in this world, where actually presumed open is designed to deliver benefits and services and savings and just to be generally helpful to you. What we want to know and what we want to understand is how can we best serve you? The four articles that have been put out are all around, I think Pam articulated it best, the customer in common, you are the commonality. So whatever it is that you think you need, help us understand it. Because as a, there is no one company that can do it. There is no one company that can deliver everything. But together, through collaboration with the rest of the sector, with the, the sector of sectors, the system of systems that people talk about, that is how we can get there. Thank you, Alex. What a fantastic way to wrap this up.